Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey and Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, thank you so much for downloading our podcast, The Honey and Coke. My name is Itamar Srulovic. Me and my wife have some restaurants in Fitzrovia and a couple of cookbooks. Ever since we opened our restaurant, we've been meeting so many incredible people who are cooking, who are making food, who are writing about food. And we just want to have a little bit more time with them. We invite our favorite people once a month or twice a month to our deli, Honey and Spice. And we sit down and have a longer chat. We cook from their books and from their culture. And this is a recording of these talks. I hope you enjoy it. Tonight we're joined by Fabrizia Lanza of Anna Tascalanza Cookery School in Sicily, a place that we dream about all the time. It's a cookery school that takes you right back to the roots. We've had such a fabulous night with Fabrizia. We've cooked delicious Sicilian food. We talked about monsu cooking, that you'll find out what it is if you keep on listening. We talked about mafia and we talked about Inspector Montalbano and we talked about olive oil and all the good things in life and uh, I hope you enjoy it. So we're we're super fortunate to have uh, Fabrizia with us which is, you know, for for those of us who know of her, she's kind of uh, a little bit of a legend or, or, you know, her school is kind of a place is our Mecca, you know, somewhere we, you know, this is our pilgrimage. Uh, And I certainly, you know, have heard about it so much and am aching to go there. But I think that the next best thing is to have Sicilian weather, Sicilian food, and the lady herself. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you all for being here. Um, So you have quite an interesting story in in the manner in your love affair with Sicily was not you know it wasn't love at first sight maybe (laughs) so I I was born in Sicily and I left when I was 18 saying I would never come back this is typical now when you are 18 I have a quite a large family and um, they own this uh, big family estate in the middle of Sicily, where actually the cooking school is right now. 
and uh, I felt, and like all big families, it was very kind of tribal. So I felt I had to go away to make my own, my own, uh, my own life, my own name, and and everything. So I actually had a full career as an art historian and a museum curator for 25, 28 years. Then after. Um, in my 40s, I kind of felt a little bit itchy. I was living in the north of Italy, where the weather is more or less similar. The old-fashioned English weather its no longer this way. Um, and I, I decided I would come back. My mother was uh, pressing me. She had started this cooking school, this cookery school in 1987. I'm an only daughter, and she would you know, how mothers can be, so why don't you come? Why don't you do this? Why don't you come and help me? And so on and so on. So I said, okay, I'll, uh, I'll approach Sicily. And I moved to Rome. I said, I can't go so Just a just little, a little yeah. bit. So I was living in, in the Veneto, near Venice. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll just get closer. And I started helping her with her travels. My mother used to travel... <coughs> quite a lot to promote the school, exactly like I'm doing now. And, uh, and so I said, I'll come with you in your travels and, uh, and I'll sort out your, your needs during your travels. So we, we went quite, quite a lot around. We went to India, we cooked in New Delhi, which was quite a mind-blowing experience. Nobody knew nothing about our food. And uh, we went to Malta, we went to America, we came in England several times, we went to Bath, which I loved. Such a beautiful town. Yes. And, uh, and then I, uh, my mother started being not too well. She was a very stubborn woman, so it was difficult to prove that she was not exactly as stubborn as usual. So uh, I gently started taking over the school. So I understood that the school needed a little bit more of care and I literally slipped in the in the arms of my mother so of it was Sicily. It, it sounds like it was quite a gradual, gradual thing. Totally. For totally. quite a quite actually a, a massive years. life decision. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And uh, but what happened See, this is how our parents work us. Yes, this is how <laughs> parents work us, exactly. Slowly, exactly. yeah. Well, they, they know us well enough to do it. Exactly. And, but what happened is that I had actually left Sicily, as I told you, at 18. I had grown up in Sicily, in Palermo. I had gone to school over there. And uh, I had really uh, ripped myself out of that world, of the food, of the language, of anything and lived in the north of Italy. I lived in France for some time and then I lived in the north of Italy for 17 years where it's really a different world. I mean, it's cold, there's fog, the tomatoes don't taste of tomatoes and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it was not just coming back and helping my mother, but it was really re, re, re retaking inside this language, this this food that I had eat, I had at my childhood, these people, the faces, the gesture—it was really overwhelming. It was gorgeous, overwhelming, gorgeous, uh, terrifying. I really didn't. I gained <coughs> eight kilos in one year. I was <laughs> all over the place. I literally, physically, 
wanted to be all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I started filming, I started writing, I started filming. I really didn't know where to catch and, and fix and, and store all this information that wasn't new. It was just coming out again, in, out. I didn't know exactly. So I did two documentaries, I wrote two books. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a great rush, a great creative rush. And then my mother, mm, she, she fell sick. She, was, she had Parkinson and dementia, so it was a very hard time. It took me two years to bring her to a doctor because she was stubborn, as I said. And then finally she was diagnosed, and so I, at that point I had to rule the school. And, uh, and the school was, is uh, a very, very particular place because it's right in the middle of Sicily, in a land uh, usually unknown because people who know Sicily or who go to Sicily go to the main cities, Palermo, Catania, Taormina, of course, is a must and then stay mainly in the coast. While we are right in the middle of the island, where very few people go, and where there's a very particular landscape, because it's the land that was the, um, let's say, the, the, the reservoir of wheat since the Roman Empire. So it's a land where you have these rolling hills completely covered with wheat, which is green, lovely and lush until June, and then it gently turns into yellow, and then it becomes black because they burn these fields. So it's a very harsh, intense, vast landscape. And uh, the type of property of ownership in this part of Sicily was latifugna, the big, big properties in a few hands of people. So you don't have housing, you don't have trees. My father always, who was not Sicilian, would always say, Sicilians don't plant trees because behind each tree there could be an enemy. So bear, <laughs> Luna. And so in this land, um, this, uh, mm, this farm, which is quite quite big, I mean, my family owns this property since two centuries, and. We've been producing wine since uh, the 70s, which was quite unusual. I mean, Sicily has always done wine, but wine that was considered cheap wine, wine that was used and was sold unbottled to the south, the north of Europe to increase sugar content alcohol for, for other vintages and other grapes that didn't have enough sugar. And so it was never considered a good wine. And my grandfather, who had a big nose and a great taste for wine, wanted absolutely, he was stubborn as my mother, produce a good Sicilian wine. And he started planting vineyards. And so in, this, in the middle of this quite incredible vast lunar landscape all made of wheat, you have this big patch of land which is lush and green because, as you know, vines are nice and green in summer. And uh, so within this big farm, we're talking about 550 hectares, which is around 1,200 acres, and a production of 4 million bottles of wine, so a big operation. My mother decided in the mid-80s to open up a cookery school. Um, but I, she's, she was not a cook. a cook. No, no, no she was not a cook. <laughs> I mean, we all cook, 
I mean, cooking in Italy is a dance that is practiced pretty much by everyone. Not so much from the younger generation, not as much. But I've cooked all my life. My mother had a chef in her farm, in our family. So, uh, but the relationship between a family chef and the owner is a very narrow relationship because you won't eat well home cooking if you just have a chef. You have to rule the chef. So there is this uh, combination, which is, I mean, not many people talk about it today. We talk a lot about chefing and all this, but home cooking made by a chef is a very particular thing. And uh, usually these chefs were Sicilian, didn't have a specific training. They would learn in the house. They would get in the house as wash dishes and then gradually build up their knowledge. But the relationship with the owner was crucial because the owner would travel, would taste different things, would come back and say, mm, I want this, I want that, let's try this, let's try this. And in this way, you would build a family cuisine, which in Sicily is often called Monsou cuisine. Monsou is a corrupted word for monsieur. And this is how chefs were called at the court of uh, the Bourbons in, uh, in Naples. You know that Naples and Sicily were a united kingdom until uh, mid-1800s. So uh, my mother had a cook, a chef, a cook, had several people cooking for her. So she never, I mean, the, the, the romantic picture of me learning side by side with my mother, non-existent. <laughs> Uh, but we ate and we discussed about food like any Italian family does mm -hmm. endlessly, endlessly. I could say that my grandparents, I mean my grandfather would wake up in the morning and plan the menu for the day and that was the topic. I mean this, there wasn't much else going on. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, while sitting at the table and eating it was more or less forbidden to talk because the concentration had to be vertical on the dish. <laughs> and um, so, uh, I mean, it's difficult to explain this nowadays where everybody talks about food. So there's a big, big narrative around food all over the place in TV. You're never left alone. You're always talking or surrounded by food. That was a somehow a similar way, a similar world but with a different quality, I would say, and a different intensity. The food was all grown on the farm. And it is home food. It is home food. It was not a fussy food. It was never a fancy food in the way. It was never an experimental food. When people go to lovely uh, three-star Michelin restaurants and I ask them, how was the food? Did you enjoy it? It was such an experience. Uh, it drives me nuts. I mean, food <laughs> is food. It's good, and you need to eat it, and it needs to be satisfying. This is my point of view. And this is how it was in my family. So, um, what were we talking about? <laughs> the monsu cooking. Uh, the monsu I, lo cooking. I loved uh, reading about that, actually, in your book. See, because you, you do... You, you can see how the, these particular dishes there is something kind of a little bit not grand but maybe not the elemental rustic no. cuisine that we imagine but there's still something very homey and very comforting and very appealing about them 
Well, like all, uh, like all aristocratic societies, um, cooking was since the, I would say, the 1700s until, until maybe yesterday, it was French. I mean, anyone who was elegant, I'm sorry to say this here, but anyone who was elegant had to speak French, eat French, and dress French. There was no other question, no other language, no other food. So also in my family, the Monsou would cook Frenchish cuisine. So butter all over the place, bechamel all over the place. And my grandfather was loved. And my father would hate, I mean, Sicilian peasant cuisine, which on the other side, my mother had rediscovered. This is. This is a big story that, I mean, if you come at the school, you will find out. It's, um, that was really my mother's vision, who was, who was, I would say, pretty revolutionary for her time. Because so how, how did she get to, to even be interested? She in got interested, I would say, for uh, a question of palate. Okay. We both, my mother and I, uh, were very keen on simple, clean food. I don't know how we were. We were the black sheep of the family. <laughs> and, uh, but I very clearly remember that when we used to go and stay with my grandparents at the farm uh, for a week, we would get out of that week really crumbling down. It was hard to digest and to bear this really buttery, delicious, but intense food. And so we would go back to our salad. My grandfather would always address me as the sheep of the family because I would eat lots of greens. It was inconceivable for him. And so this was definitely a huge visionary point my mother had on the school. So when she started the school, she started also to rediscover the food that the poor people around in the countryside would cook. Simple food which of course needed adjustment because poor people not necessarily ate good food. They had simple cuisine, but often olive oil was not the best. Often, uh, I mean, it was very poor, literally. But with a few adjustments, this food can be delicious. Also because in Sicily we have extraordinary ingredients, really extraordinary ingredients. And we have a growing season that goes nearly 365 days a year so we never it never really stops producing we have winter crops of course and summer crops and spring crops but it's it's a very very fertile land this yes. meant the shift i mean to close your question this meant the the shift to mons from monsu cuisine to a more uh, rural sicilian cuisine and and how did you find Again, she didn't come from, you know, a cookery background. She had no. a very good palate and a very good understanding and set this business up, which is very much a labor of love for her. And then you kind of need to step in. Yes. And obviously you have your life experience, your views, and I suppose quite formidable ones. Ah, I, know this I don't know. <laughs> How did you go about, you know, when you, you started the school, did you have a vision of, Yes. what she does yes yes of course I still do a lot of research and um, and look into I mean Sicilian cuisine is extremely intriguing it's uh, extremely diverse 
I mean, a lot of people say this, and I'm not the first one, that Sicily is really like a continent from a culinary perspective. Every 20 kilometers, there's a different recipe on that same ingredient. And, and there are layers and layers of cultures, different cultures that have passed by and dropped seeds, uh, ingredients, ways of doing such and such. And so this has always fascinated me. Maybe I, I, I started looking into this aspect from an historical and anthropological perspective, which my mother was not as interested as I was. And therefore, I started giving a more educational twist to the school. So the school runs all year round, but there, is, there are bits and pieces during the year where we focus on more specific topics. So, for example, in August we do this tomato, tomato workshop, which is all about tomato, preserving tomato, sun-dried tomato, anything you can do with tomato, which is crucial to our culture because, as you know, when tomato arrived it was considered a poisonous thing, so it wasn't used for a couple of centuries, but then when it came on our table at the beginning of 1800s, it was a ban, literally, and, um, and, and it became so essential to our cuisine that uh, we, we found many, many different ways to pickle it, preserve it, dry it, do all sorts of things in order to have it all year round. I mean, this is an art that in Israel, in Lebanon, and all the Middle East is fabulous, and this is common to the whole Mediterranean area. And um, so we do these specific workshops and we do regular courses about Sicilian cuisine. But I would say that my focus is more into looking at food beyond the recipe. So I try to give... Um, I love what, what you said yesterday. You said the most beautiful sentence that I, I just... Because we met yesterday, that recipes are the most volatile thing. Yes, they are. Just yeah. sums up so much. Yeah, they are because when people there's a lot of this romanticism about saying ah, this is the only this is the real recipe this is authentic. So when people come up to me and say this, I say authentic. Okay, so from the fifth century or the eighteenth century, when does authentic start? This in Sicily is very evident, but everywhere it's evident because there's no such thing as an authentic recipe. I mean, the recipe is authentic the moment you do it. And the way you do it, that's the recipe. Uh, of course, you have things evolving, you can trace them back, but uh, recipes are very volatile. And it's just one bit of the whole food chain, which is what fascinates me. Because uh, if we cook with tomatoes, there are reasons why, and there are we have specific tomato growing in my region, for example, that is called pomodoro siccano, which is a tomato which is grown non-watered. It's never it's never irrigated. <laughs> it's not a fuss. It's that we don't have water, so <laughs> people figured out a way to grow tomatoes without water and it happened that we have a soil which is very rich in clay and clay and we are quite high in uh, above this we are around 600 and 800 meters above the sea level so it happens that at night there's always a little uh, dew you call yeah. it that deposits and the clay 
preserves this stew exactly like in a, in a clay jar. You would s save the water in ancient times. And, and so this allows the tomato to survive. And of course the tomato you get out of this treatment is a very pulpy, dense tomato with a very thick skin. It's not a tomato rambling on a trellis, but it's a tomato that can lay on the ground because it won't get bruised. Of course, if you leave it for 10 days, it will get bruised, but it can stay a couple of days because it's very rich, very dense, very solid. And in this way, you can do all sorts of preparation and you don't have the problem of watery tomato. They're very intense. So, I mean, everything has a reason, especially in agriculture, especially in farming. There's no such thing as casualty. I mean, you can happen when bread was risen the first time, it's probably, or when somebody ate an olive and found it very bitter and then discovered that if it stayed in the salt for a couple of weeks, it would be less bitter. This is casualty, of course, but then things build up and there's a lot of knowledge that goes behind food, which is absolutely fascinating. And in Sicily, we have the chance that this knowledge is not yet totally lost. So this is my commitment, is to look into this and kind of bring it up, write about it, explain it, show <coughs> it, have people tasting the differences and try and, and, and be some sort of um, mental place where people can reconnect, can Bind. Do you feel that that you're on a time limit? That you're you're rushing against the clock to no preserve these things before they disappear. No, I mean I can I do what I can. Uh, I think that huge things have been lost already everywhere, but I don't. I'm not the kind of person who looks and says, Ah, the, the lovely old times. I think there's also wonderful new technologies that have. Uh, I mean, I was talking yesterday evening about olive oil. In Sicily, olive oil was mostly rancid until 40 years ago. Nobody, nobody knows about that, or very people talk about that. But mm, a lot of uh, the Mediterranean countries um, had lost, uh, for lack of technology, for poverty, the, the, the skills to make good olive oil the rules to make good olive oil. So they would pick the olives from the ground, the olives would be bruised, they would wait until they had the donkey to carry the olives to the mill, so the olives meanwhile would rotten. And so often you would have awful olive oil. We have some English travelers in the 1700s, Bryden, I don't know if you have heard of him, anyway, he traveled along, the whole, he did one of the grand tours and he comes to Sicily and he says, Ah, beautiful, suggested temples, everything is so magnificent, but be careful, never taste the olive oil, because it was disgusting. And, um, and olive oil is quite a new industry in the South. It's since 30, 40 years that they make excellent olive oil, and this is thanks to technology, awareness, um, and, and so uh, things go up and down, and, uh, and I think you, you need to, I think that the main thing is to be aware. I mean, not romanticize, just look into things, study them, have a kind of non-polluted approach, and, and, just, and just have some common sense. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We do, I think, a lot of us in, in, in this country have this view of, of Italy and maybe more so of Sicily as kind of untouched, unspoiled, uh, a little bit preserved, a little bit more in touch with its kind of agricultural heritage and a lot of us kind of aspire mm. to, to, to even in a very kind of very abstract way kind of aspire to, to this sort of lifestyle Untouch. but, yeah, but yeah. actually the reality on the ground is you know agriculture is super hard there's you know the cucina povera is for poor people who yeah. suffer yeah. there's it's the, the the there is kind of a gap in the reality. Does say your students are they a little bit misty eyed or or is it just me? I don't know. Mm, no, <laughs> I, I would like to ask all of you what what are your ideas on Sicily? But uh, I mean, <coughs> I think we all dream about a country. I mean, uh, the island that's not there. No, the what's how do you say it in English? The Peter Pan Island. Yeah, uh, uh, never never land. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> I think we all dream of a country and Sicily is exotic enough to be a great place to dream about this. Um, as you say, agriculture is a tough job nowadays for anyone, for anyone. I mean, it's hard to compete. We have all these global issues. We are in Italy and in Sicily, the major, one of the major, we import 50% of the wheat we, we use for our pasta, which is unbelievable. And we import it from Canada. We import tomato.
from China. Yes, yes. A lot of the big uh, tomato firms like Muti, I mean, if they hear, hear me, they will kill me. But uh, a lot of them use tomato from China. They, they, they import extract, tomato concentrated. They dilute it with water and they sell it as tomato sauce. I mean, this is the effect of the global market. There's no way you can go behind you know, I'm this. I'm just looking at my tomatoes. I'm looking, if you're in Sicily, looking for your tomatoes, here they are in right. London. Right. But yes, of course, but in London you are uh, a very kind of selected, tra you, you're people who know how to eat or who have gone, have traveled, but there's a, a big chunk of world that don't see the difference between a real tomato and a, and a manicured no, tomato. No, I think we are, <coughs> you know, I think we are an affluent society. I think we can afford yeah, also the eight pounds a kilo exactly, box of tomatoes. Exactly. I mean, uh, even for some of us, it may be a, a, a huge luxury. For some of us, it's a day-to-day -day thing, but it's in within reach. Of course. So th this romanticized view of Sissy, I don't, I don't really know what you think about Sicily. I would be curious to know how many people. I mean, uh, when the first people uh, came to the school, the first question was when my mother opened the school was, of course, about mafia. So the Godfather was the image, the narrative that would be more more frequent. Now I hear there's Montalbano among yours. Your yeah, yeah. So I hope there's a different... Reruns on yeah. the BBC iPlayer. Yeah, and, um, and also, I mean, I'm, I'm proud to say that wines, the wine industry in Sicily has gained a huge popularity and it is exceptional. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that people who come to Sicily no longer ask me about Mafia and <laughs> they haven't not yet asked me about Montalbano, but they ask me about wines, about food, about terroir, about different, different stories. And so uh, I think that the narrative on Sicily has changed, has changed a lot. Uh, of course, I mean, I want you to be aware that you're going, I always say that Sicily is the last of the Western country and the first of the Middle Eastern countries. Uh, so we're right there in the middle and it's pretty much, it looks more like Cairo or, or uh, Beirut than, uh, uh, it's closer to Cairo and Beirut than it is to Zurich or Turin. This is what what other courses do you offer throughout the year? So because I, di I didn't know about the tomato course, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> see, we do. So we have a a, a a ten week program in winter from mid January until the end of March, which is just my absolute dream. <laughs> my absolute dream. It's a it's a it's a very intensive course for only 12 to 14 students and it's about the bridging the gap between farming and cooking basically so it's uh, it's kind of uh, trying to to explain the full circle so we talk about wheat we look at the landscape that wheat produces we understand how wheat is manipulated and how this came into our culture we visit wheat mills, we understand different ways of grinding the wheat. We, we try and go all over the place about that ingredient and so on for vines and for cheese and all that. And this is 
called Cook the Farm, and it's, it, it starts mid-January and ends at the end of March. Then we have uh, the regular classes that can be... It's perfect for my wife's birthday. Yes. <laughs> That's a gift. We're going for 10 weeks. Bye. <laughs> we have a weekly courses. We have a three-week... We're pretty much flexible, I mean, uh, because a lot of people travel in Sicily and then drop by for two days, for three days, for as long as they want. And we do Sicilian uh, cookery classes. And uh, then we have uh, specific workshops with guests, guests from chef guests. David Tannis is one of my regular guests every year. He's an American chef. And uh, Rachel Roddy, who was here, she disappeared, but she... uh, Here she is. And uh, she is a food writer. She writes a weekly column for The Guardian. You may know her. And uh, she comes and does a, a workshop on the language of food. And uh, we do some yoga and vegetarian cuisine. And then uh, we do some, uh, uh, as I said, themed oriented workshop tomato, uh, olive oil. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to know about it. And, and, uh, and, and Sicily has everything pretty much available. But the school, the books, the art history, the films, you know, guest chefs, so much going on. So much interest and curiosity. And such, I mean, th- th- this book, I'm just going to say a little bit, because I, I borrowed Rachel's copy, which I was, uh, normally I can, I can be quite, you know, I... I pinch and fold and I highlight my favorite recipes but with yours I was, I was hoping that you got it in a good state kind of ish yeah it was it wasn't that great when I got it it was already stained it's <laughs> the highest praise for a cookbook luckily she's using it yeah yeah but it's I mean I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed reading it and you know all these little bits about you know your cook about the, the bitter herbs that you know the, the herbs that they forage and then in, in one village they forage these her- these herbs and they love it and then you know two meters down the road they'd be like this and yes, touch it with a bar it's true which and, and this this book is like brimming exploding with these things and with actually so many appealing dishes and this is what you said at the beginning about the clear bright flavors and the, there's a lot here but the things that really kind of jumped at me from the page are these things that you know the, the flavor is going to be so clear like this you know I'm just going to tell you what I made this uh, tomato salad and as we're getting the nice Sicilian <laughs> tomatoes with with uh, with red onion the tropea red onions and new season olive oil and beautiful red wine vinegar so simple but just my this is my food we did these potatoes in, in saffron and wild oregano, which are in which all are also cooked in about, you know, two fingers of olive oil. <laughs> uh, this pumpkin that we did on the grill, this beautiful summer squash that we did on the grill in a sweet and sour sauce. And the pride, the proudest thing I ever cooked probably, can you show them, Dennis? Mm-hmm. My bread. The these, masterpiece. These can you see that? And this is the this is the kind of food that really jumped at me 
from that page. You know, I, I this is what I wanted. You know, completely. And uh, he, he, this is just one of how many books? Three. I wrote a book on Olive, yeah. which was published in English, and then uh, now there's a book in Italian coming out, and uh, that's it. You don't, you don't have much downtime. You don't have so much downtime. Time that you're no. not, not so busy. No. What's what's your your next big project? Well, I have a I have a project. Unfortunately, I'm not famous, so I don't have easily a publisher. You know what? Here, you're so famous. No, I'm not. Come on. For me, writing a book is really putting a line and saying, "Okay, all this experience sums to this." It's a way to tidy up all the things. And so, my next book is about this farming experience because I didn't tell you what happened when I came to Sicily. This will be very short because I want you to ask me bombard me with questions. But I landed, I was an independent woman with a with a job, with my stipend, with a in a civilized world and I landed in a feudal system dominated by male in a family, lovely family, but pretty much male oriented. And uh, farming, I knew nothing. So I had to learn from scratch. And I had to discuss from scratch with a lot of men. And, uh, and so this was a life-changing experience. It was lovely. It was lovely. Because, of course, they loved me. And they didn't want to kill me. But, <laughs> but I had to fight. I had to fight. And this was, uh, was enlightening because... Um, the land, uh, the land is a great teacher. It's, uh, it's, uh, you need to have a, a quite good temperament, good patient, wait, observe. Um, there's a lot of things that we, we don't do in our modern life. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I learned a lot. And so this is what the new book is about. That's, you know, I would... I'd buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I need somebody to publish it before. Well, you know, I, th I don't know. Anyway, what do I know? And more movies? More yes, I have a new, a new project, but again, fundraising. I need to do fundraising. <laughs> See, it's about uh, bitter. It's the flavor bitter because um, in these years I discovered that uh, there, are, there, are, there is a certain exposure to flavors in... Uh, in populations, as much as the Balkans and the Middle East, the Turkish and all that kind of piece of chunk of world loves acid. So they put lemon, they have acid yogurt, as much as Mexico loves spicy and Indian loves the different types. Well, we love bitter. And bitter is a huge world in Italy and even more in Sicily. We have lots of bitter greens, we have uh, bitter almonds, we drink amaro. And there's also a great uh, kind of fundamental bitterness in the, 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 it's what the Portuguese call saudade. It's, uh, in Sicilian there is a basic bitterness in their life and it, life has been very hard. So I, I thought that bitter was a very good um, way to explain the complexity of our food. The fact that, as I said, food is not a just a recipe. It's made out of layers, of culture, of desires, of geography, of, of taste. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's this story that I would like to explore and do in my next documentary. Just, uh, I'm curious. If you were to have um, guests, 
friends or family, what would you make? What would you well, it depends in which season, because our cuisine is absolutely seasonal. Well, we have um, aubergine, uh, as, as we treat aubergine as you treat potatoes, so they're everywhere. And uh, we do wonderful dishes with fried uh, aubergine and pasta. Um, I would cook fish because there's delicious fish. How? It depends what fish. I mean, if I had a tuna, I would probably just do it raw. I would do a, maybe a, um, see, no, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, tartar. Yeah. Or I could. I. 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 It depends which fish. A, a red mullet. I would deep fry it. We have those small, delicious red mullets. Or there's a delicious way also of um, doing um, fresh cod or fresh uh, mullet. No mullet. Come si chiama lo sgombro? Mackerel on a on a kind of little brick of salt or I would just boil I, I just recently did and I have a I rented a little house in an island of, of Sicily and I have my fish pusher coming knocking at the door and giving me good fishes and I often just boil them and um, and uh, you need to be very precise and how long you boil them so it's still vibrant and not, you know, breaking all over the place. Yeah, this is... And dessert. And dessert. Well, dessert, dessert. Dessert, uh, I, I'm at the school, we do the most classical Sicilian dessert. So we do cassata, we do cannoli, we do a lot of ice creams because I have a very big orchard with fruits. And so now it's time for mulberry ice cream. And um, we do almond granita, we do all that, some of the possible granita you can imagine. Uh, <coughs> uh, what else? We do watermelon jelly, which is delicious, and um, with jasmine flowers. Okay, let me just repeat yes. that. What are you looking for when you're choosing really good olive oil? Well, for me, a good olive oil needs to be uh, spicy, fruity, and bitter. <laughs> this is how I like a good olive oil. But, I mean, you have different shades of all this depends on what type of olive you're squeezing so there's really a huge world but a freshly pressed olive oil should have these these three elements yeah but I think if you're this is also I'm going to answer this question even though I wasn't asked <laughs> but I think it's so because olive oil does have you know it does have a shelf life it doesn't and, and the quality goes down so the fresher it is, the better. And you, you can find occasionally uh, olive oil with the date on it when it was pressed. And, you know, usually the new oil comes out in, in late October, early November. And that's kind of a good time to buy 
a lot and you, you, you do need to spend some. It, it will be expensive. But it's, you know, it's such, like all your cooking will be so much better for it. And we, we're using, uh, if, you, if you'll try in these tomatoes, we, we're using, uh, uh, it's not, well, it's kind of from the last press from 2017. Uh, so it's six months old, something like that, and you know you'll see it's very alive. See, another good way to understand if you're buying a good bottle of olive oil is the price. Yeah. There's no way it's olive oil if it costs in Italy less than seven euros half a liter. Yeah. There's no way you could cover your cost and make a decent. No, not not, not that necessarily. <laughs> You know, not that the expensive ones are necessarily good, but the cheap ones are not olive oil. No, sure. it's, there's no way. I mean, we have olive oils that are sold as extra virgin in our supermarket in Italy. Uh, the big brands, Bertoli and all this, that they go for six euros a liter. Or, there's no way they contain olive oil. No. There's no way. No, and it's, it's true. It's, it's, the big, it's kind of the biggest counterfeit market. In in my especially in in big retailers, you won't find you know it's not real olive oil. It's, no, it's they fake. do all sorts of frauds on olive oil. Yeah. it's really terrible. Yeah, also on tomato, there's also some. There's a lot of stuff that is. I I started doing a line of products at some point, and uh, I just stopped because well, it's not my job. I'm not good at it, and it's okay. I do good stuff, but I'm not. It's another job selling. The, the retail, all this thing confuses me and I get lost. But I realized that uh, if I had to sell, I mean, if I had to compete with a jar of marmalade on a shelf in a supermarket, there was no, not even the jar cost that, that, that price. There was no way there was fruit in it. Guys, I'm sure that we can all sit here and continue till the cows come home, but there is food that needs to be eaten, I'm afraid. So please join me in giving Fabrizia a big, big hand. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Honey and Coke. We hope you enjoyed it, even if you didn't get to try the food. I promise everything was absolutely delicious. There are some wonderful guests coming up in the next few weeks and will be available to download. So make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave us a review if you can. That'll be really, really great for us. This show is expertly produced by Hester Khan, music by the great Ellis Russell. If you want to come along to one of our talks, you can join our mailing list on our website, honeyandco.co.uk, or follow us on our social media at honeyandco. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.